السلام علیکم ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ میں پیس اینڈ بلسنگ پون یو آل گڈ مارننگ اینڈ ویلکم ٹو دا نیو لائیو ایڈیشن آف بریکفسٹ شو دس از مائی سیلف دانیل احمد اینڈ مائی کو پرزینٹر موبائز امینی سو موبائز ہاؤ آر یو ڈوئنگ السلام علیکم گڈ مارننگ دانیال So in this edition uh, today we will talk about two topics um the first topic will be adoption a chance at saving lives and the second topic will be exciting times ahead a uh, complete human genome will be read for the first time ever and of course we will have our experts as well who will be talking about uh, and shedding light upon these topics in detail and as you know it is our custom that in the first half an hour we will uh, speak about um, the weather and uh, the papers from the bbc news and different interesting articles uh, we will we will be speaking about and after that at um, 7:30 we will have our first topic which we'll discuss about is adoption and um, Yeah, before uh, indulging into the, those topics, uh, let's uh, talk about the weather news. Boys, what do you say? Um, what I mean, you've had a, a bus ride today, right? Yeah. Into the, into the studio. Um, it was chilly, wasn't it? Yeah, it is. But it's, it's been better than the past few days as well, because yeah. it has been colder as well at night. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, according to the forecast, um, this morning, much of the UK will turn increasingly cloudy and uh, scattered showers will push into it. eastern and southern areas it will be drier in the west with wintry sunshine in northwest scotland tonight skies will remain quite clear towards northwestern scotland clear spells will also develop by the early hours in the far southeast largely cloudy uh, largely cloudy elsewhere with a few spots of light rain Tomorrow uh, swathes of of uh, northwest Scotland will continue dry with bright spells with the far south of England seeing some bright periods the rest of the UK will be mostly cloudy with isolated showers and uh, an outlook for for Thursday to Saturday is that a similar day on on Thursday with the southeast seeing the best of winter sunshine a few showers um likely in the northeast friday will have a mix of of variable cloud and brief bright spells mainly in northern scotland while the risk of showers in the north and the east will remain a bright start for many on saturday but nothing tur- turning cloudy later showers towards the far north so that brings us um to a rather cloudy and Yeah. Um, just a steady weather for the next uh, few days as well. Yeah, I thought it was going to be warm weather in the next coming days, but it's kind of very chilly. I just saw the um, temperature today before coming here. It was uh, almost um, uh, freezing temperature. I think mm. it, it was one, yeah. So before getting into uh, the news, um, um, I would like to say that uh, to, the, uh, to our uh, dear viewers, uh, listeners, that please do contact us at our website www.voiceofislam.co.uk or you can call us at 020-8687-7878 and of course there are some kind of uh, personalities who are bit, uh, kind of shy they won't don't want to call directly or um, they won't don't want to listen 
uh, to their voices directly, they can tweet us at um, Voice of Islam uh, UK. Um, so no, yeah, so the news, the papers um, from uh, the BBC, uh, which says that um, a deal reached between the UK and the European Union um, to amend the Northern Ireland Protocol dominates uh, dominates Tuesday's uh, front pages. The Guardian reports that the argument, which will reduce checks on good morning, good moving. Um, from Great Britain to Northern Ireland has been called a decisive breakthrough by Prime Minister Rishik Sunak and uh, European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen. Uh, the paper adds that it came after four months of intensive negotiations. Quote unquote. The Times quotes Sunak declaring the deal decisively better than the other delivered by his predecessor, Boris Johnson. It reports the agreement will give the Stormont Assembly an emergency break on any new European law affecting Northern Ireland and that it has won praise from a number of senior Brexit-backing Tory MPs. Referencing John's claim uh, made more than three years ago than his own deal with the EU was oven ready, quote-unquote. The headline in the Metro reads, You can put the oven on. Quote unquote. The DUP have sounded a warning over the claim that Stormont will be able to veto new European law, according to the I. The paper also says Johnson is weighing up whether to stage a public intervention as Sunak tries to sell the agreement to his backbenchers. The Financial Times describes the agreement as a turning point, quote-unquote, but says many Eurosceptic Tories may wait to take their lead from the DUP, um, whose leader, Sir Geoffrey Donaldson, uh, told the Commons on Monday that there remained some key issues of concern, quote-unquote. The Telegraph quotes Sunak praising von der Leyen's vision in recognising the possibility of a new way forward and von der Leyen saying she hopes the deal will open a new chapter for UK-European relations. The paper also says that an expected backlash from Tory Eurospectics have, has so far failed to materialise. The Mail says that a feared Tory revolt over the deal melted away, quote-unquote, last night and speculates that Sunak might have done the impossible, quote-unquote, by addressing the issues with the existing agreement, uh, Conservatives MPs David uh, Davis, Dominic Rabb and Steve Barclay, all former Brexit secretaries, have also written a joint article uh, for the paper describing the deal as a complete and utter game-changer, quote-unquote. The Mirror reports that the ashes of Peter Sutcliffe, the serial killer known as the Yorkshire Ripper, have been scattered at a beauty spot near the Cumbrian village of Arnside, which he visited as a child. Broadchurch star Andrew Butchen has left his wife, Downton Abbey's Amy Nut- uh, Nuttall, and is believed to be living with Leila Farzad, his co-star in BBC series Better, according to The Sun. 
A source tells the paper that uh, Natal has been left devastated by Bhutan's departure. And the Star reports that the president of Mexico has claimed a mythical tree-climbing elf has been captured on camera. Yes, the actual president, the paper says. Mm -hmm. And of course, a deal reached between the UK and European Union to amend the Northern Ireland Protocol dominates Tuesday's front page. Um, Brexit breakthrough through uh, writes the headline in the Times. Inside, it says the devil will be in the details of the deal. And the um, Daily Mail asks, has Rishi done the impossible? It says a feared Tory revolt melted away after Prime Minister Rishi Sunak unveiled uh, what the paper called a historic deal, quote-unquote. In its editorial comment, the Daily Telegraph said Monday was arguably Sunak's best day yet as Prime Minister, quote-unquote, adding that time will tell if he has pulled off a political triumph. 1,215 days late, Brexit deal is finally done, is how the Metro pulls, is how the Metro puts it. The Sun's headline says, Got Brexit done again, before adding in brackets hopefully. Inside the paper, the Foreign Secretary James Cleverly has written an article in which he says that the argument, the agreement is a, is a turning point for Northern Ireland. The Guardian reports that the deal has been broadly welcomed but 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 that the Prime Minister still faces opposition from hardline Brexiters. The DUP have uh, sounded a warning over the claim that Stormont will be able to veto new European law. According to the I, the, uh, the paper also says uh, Boris Johnson is weighing up whether or not to intervene. In an editorial, the Dublin-based uh, <clears throat> Dublin Irish Times sees the deal as a route to stability and progress, but adds that the very nature of Brexit means that no argument is going to give everyone all that they are looking for. In his column, Sam McBride of the Belfast Telegraph says, the Windsor framework is more democratic and less unplatable for, uni for unionism but is not what Sunak has claimed. He says, the Prime Minister's spin is not backed up by the final, by the fine detail of phenomenally bureaucratic new system and the reality is that the Irish sea border will be staying. One of a kind is how both the Express and the Sun described Betty, the first female speaker of the Commons who, was, who has died aged 93. The Guardian courts, the current speaker Sir Lindsay Calling her an inspirational woman, the Telegraph said she was renowned for her fair play, sense of humor, and passionate belief in the sovereignty of Parliament. And the Star reports that the President of Mexico has claimed a mythical tree-climbing elf has been captured on camera, yet the actual President, the paper says. <clears throat> so that was the news, the papers from the BBC, and uh, we are uh, also looking for the deal which happened between um, <clears throat> the UK and European Union, and uh, hopefully uh, we see the better results uh, in the near future. So, Mubariz, do you have any news or any article which caught your eye this morning? 
So um, Zelensky, uh, Zelensky says uh, situation in in Bakhmut is is worsening. Um, on the eastern front line, it's becoming more and more difficult, says the U- Ukraine's president. Russian forces have been trying to take the city for over six months. The enemy is is constantly destroying everything that can be used to protect our positions, the president said. The Ukrainian leader's remarks came as U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen warned China against arming Russia during a visit to Kiev on Monday. Some of the uh, fiercest um, uh, fighting to take place since Russia invaded invaded Ukraine just over a year ago has taken place in in Bakhmut, in Ukraine's Donetsk region, uh, of which is under the control of Russia and its uh, separatist uh, allies. Recently, efforts um, by Russian forces to capture the industrial city have intensified, um, with its troops gaining ground. Um, The separatist leader of the self-proclaimed Donetsk People's Republic, Denis uh, Pushilin, said practically all roads into the city were under Russian fire control. And the commander of Ukraine's ground forces, uh, Colonel uh, General uh, Alexander Sarisky, said the situation about Bakhmut was extremely tense. So, um, obviously, Daniel, we can see that um, things are getting worse, um, not just um, according to what the news is showing, but what we can see as well. Yeah, of course. And certainly, you know, um, we already saw the... um, uh, aftermaths and uh, side effects of World War One and, uh, and World War Two, and we don't want to uh, give such a word to our children um, where they cannot live uh, peacefully, and uh, they have to see the most worst effects of um, the, any um, globally, you know, uh, event incident, uh, which might, you know, um, affect. Um, on their health, on their mm. uh, on their on, on their education, on their future as well. So we need to give such a healthy environment to our uh, upcoming generations, so they can uh, you know uh, nourish in in a, such a society. Um, we can they freely and um, move around and um, mm. you know ac- practice their own things. In other news, um, a couple who disappeared with their baby uh, have been found and arrested in, in Brighton, but the infant mm-hmm. is, is still missing, police have said. Uh, Constance Martin and Mark Gordon had uh, not been uh, seen since their car broke down near Bolton on 5th of January. The pair were found after a sightseeing by a member of the public in the Stanmer Villas uh, on Monday evening. Police have launched an urgent search for the baby, uh, thought to have been just days old when they disappeared. The couple remain in custody and are being questioned, the Metropolitan Police told the BBC. They added that the search was covering a large area between Brighton and New Haven, where the pair were spotted a few days ago. A helicopter was was up overnight uh, for a 10-mile search zone, while drones and police dogs have also been deployed. Residents are being asked to check sheds and other houses uh, and to report anything unusual. 
The couple left their home in Eltham, South East London in September after Miss Martin first showed signs of pregnancy and were living a nomadic lifestyle since. Their car was found on fire on the M61 on 5th of January and it is believed Miss Martin gave birth either in or near the car a day or two earlier. In the days after the breakdown, the couple appeared to be trying to avoid the police, travelling in quick succession to, to Liverpool, uh, Essex um, and London. Mm-hmm. CCTV sightings showed them apparently trying to hide their faces from cameras. They were thought to be carrying a large amount of cash and to be using camp- uh, camping equipment to live off-grid, police have said. Investigators said they were worried the baby was being exposed to sub-zero temperatures and said they were extremely concerned for their well-being. They also said there was no evidence that either Miss Martin or the baby had been assessed by medical professionals since the child's birth. When they first disappeared, police said they were concerned that the couple seemed to be constantly moving and awake for at least a a few days, which must be especially draining on someone who had recently given birth with no medical attention. At the end of January, detectives offered a £10,000 reward for information leading to the couple's whereabouts. Constance Martin, 35, is from a wealthy family and had a privileged upbringing attending private school and living in a stately home in Dorset. Police said she became estranged from her family after meeting Gordon while a drama student in 2016. Gordon, a registered uh, sex offender, was deported to Britain from the United States in 2010 after spending 20 years in prison for a rape he committed aged 14. Miss Martin's father, Napier Martin, previously appealed to his daughter to turn himself to herself into the police. Even though we remain estranged at the moment, I stand by as I have always done, and as the family has always done, to do whatever is necessary for your safe return to us, he told the department. Now, anyone with any information that could help with the search is being asked to call 999 and, and to let the authorities know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, of course, um, I think we um, it's such a, a sad incident that uh, I think we need to, each of us need to, you know, uh, try to put uh, effort in their own uh, circles so that, you know, um, collectively we can see the um, positive results of uh, how we can, uh, such um, incident can be prevented. So um, it's uh, each of uh, us, uh, each it, it's uh, each individual's uh, responsibility uh, to um, put effort so that um, you know our society can nourish in in the best possible manner, and of course um, the government as well. They need to devise such programs, such schemes um, through which you know such incident can be prevented. And uh, moreover, apart from such uh, worldly news. Um, we have another news um, from within the MDM Muslim community, and, and that is the National Peace Symposium, which is coming this um, uh, coming weekend, and uh, where our um, worldwide head um, of the MDM Muslim community, His Holiness Hazrat Mizar Masroor Ahmad, will be delivering his keynote address at the UK National Peace Symposium. So. Um, just for our dear uh, listeners, um, a brief guide to what this is about. 
And so this symposium is a key event of the community held at the largest mosque in Western Europe and marks the 17th um, to date. The event promotes a deeper understanding of Islam and other faiths and seeks to inspire a con concerted effort for lasting peace. The theme for this year's peace symposium is the foundations for true peace, of course, which is needed very much needed in uh, today's day and age. Um, more than 800 guests um, attend the unique event, including secretaries of state, parliamentarians, diplomats, faith and civic leaders as well as representatives from numerous uh, charities and faith communities. Guests will also get an opportunity to be um, given a guided tour of the mosque complex. The keynote address will be delivered by His Holiness, Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmad, the worldwide head of the MDM Muslim community. And um, uh, one, uh, and there is one more element uh, which is involved in this peace symposium, and which is very, in my opinion, uh, is very crucial, and um, to and which is uh, the MDM Muslim Prize for the advancement of peace, um, the peace prize in um, which is uh, always announced um, um, and given uh, during this peace symposium. And the brief summary of what this is about is that the MD Muslim community is dedicated to establish peace and to protect the basic human rights of um, all wherever they may be in the world. And, uh, you know, is also uh, keen to recognize efforts made by those who seek to advance the cause of peace. So the annual MDA Muslim Peace Prize is presented at the National Peace Symposium um, in recognition of an individual's or any organization's uh, contribution to the to the advancement of the cause of peace. And of course, as I have said before, it is very much needed in, in such day and age um, where peace is lacking, where we are kind of deprived um, from peace, whether talking about the inner peace or the outwardly peace, um, it it is very much needed in this day and age. And um, it doesn't matter how much money you have got uh, in your pocket. Um, the the person always uh, is in demand of uh, getting that um, peace um, in his heart, so that you know he can. Um, you know, flourish or uh, live peacefully every day and do his job uh, peacefully. So that was uh, the news um, from within the Jamaat uh, the Muslim community um, that uh, this coming weekend um, we will be um, listening and watching the UK National Peace Symposium and His Holiness Hazrat Mizam Masroor Ahmad and um, his keynote as well. So now we will take a short break and um, after break uh, we will, um, as I have uh, said before, um, start with our first segment which is Adoption, a Chance at Saving Lives and um, um, the second topic uh, which is 
um, exciting times ahead. Complete human genome will be read for the first time. And of course, the first segment is very, very much relevant to the recent incident happened, uh, or I would say the calamity, you know, the natural disaster, which we saw um, in the news and that happened in Turkey and Syria. Um, a lot of people have, you know, died and many children have been orphaned. So adoption is a very much relevant to the recent um, um, uh, incident and that happened. So see you after a short break. Please do tune in after the short break. He claimed to be that lost one, awaited by all major fates of the world. He claimed to be that Krishna that Hindus were waiting so long for. He claimed to be that Buddha about whose coming the previous Buddha had prophesied. He was that Jesus son of Mary, awaited by both Christians and Muslims alike. He said he was the great reformer predicted by Guru Baba Nanak, as well as the second coming of Zoroaster. He said that his mission was to bring all mankind to the realization that there is a God. He sought to bring about revolutions inside people so that they would fulfill the rights of each other as well as fulfill the rights of God. Now, just who was he? He was the Messiah of mankind, Mirza Ghulam Ahmed of Ghadian, and he was not a liar. 1400 years ago, the Holy Prophet of Islam, peace and blessings of God be upon him, claimed that the promised Messiah of all faiths would appear to the east of Damascus. It is recorded in writing that around 100 years ago, this Messiah, sitting in an unknown, undeveloped Indian village, which lay on the same latitude to the east of Damascus, no less, received the following revelation in the Arabic language, Bala Dimash, meaning destruction in Damascus. He prophesied the First and Second World Wars, and he also predicted that a great war would start from here. It is no secret that the Syrian civil war is the biggest crisis of our time. A conservative estimate states that over half of a million people have been killed since the Syrian civil war started in 2011. However, the number is sure to be significantly higher. Similarly, it is estimated that 11 million Syrians have fled the country since the war began. The pre-war population has been estimated to be 22 million. With different factions on the ground, including American, Russian, and Syrian government troops, Syrian rebels, and ISIS, this has become an international arena of death, a de facto playground for world war. Although world war and the crisis in Syria are signs of his truthfulness, the promised Messiah abhorred bloodshed and violence and instead claimed that he had come to end religious wars. He said that he loved mankind with the same love that a mother loves her child, nay, even more so. What mother would not sacrifice her own peace and well-being for the sake of her child? So, one can only imagine how much the promised Messiah loved mankind. An expression of his love are his timeless words which he desired to be a means of salvation for those he loved, that is, all of humanity. 
It is a fire, but all those shall be saved from that fire who love God, the doer of wonders. He is the King of the Kings and indeed is the Master of the Day of Judgment. He is the Lord of all creation. The Master of the Day of Judgment is one who runs the affairs of the masses according to His will. Malik, Master, is one who has total possession of creation and has this possession without the help of any partnership and that this is not applicable to anyone but Allah. Unlike a Malik, King, from whom one seeks everything, the term Malik, Master, denotes that God is responsible for everything, including food, reward, and punishment. The rule of God is not like any kingship of this world. Rather, it has total ownership and control. God has expounded the good and the bad deeds to us and has given us free will in this world and has told us that He has the right to punish and that the decision to punish or forgive is with Him. The promised Messiah, on whom be peace, said, that the attribute of Master of the Day of Judgment demands that we turn to Him with extreme and utmost humility, sincerity, and meekness. Those who turn to Allah in the manner of a completely helpless and powerless person and do actually and genuinely believe in their utter incapacity as they submit, find beneficence, from this divine quality. Malik is a quality of deed that promotes and advocates a profusion of mercy and compassion. However, how can man imbibe this divine attribute on a human level? Adopting mastership means that man may do justice and may avoid evil. In this capacity, he also overlooks others' wrongs, either out of mercy, compassion, or forgiveness. These human qualities only come to the fore when one is in authority and possesses control over something. One's good moral qualities and courtesy only come into focus when one is given status. An awareness of the attribute of Malikiyat turns one heart tender with the awe of punishment and thus generates a true insight. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuhu. Welcome back to the live edition of Breakfast Show. May peace and blessing of Allah be upon you all. Um, as you know that this is our first segment which uh, in which we will be uh, talking about the uh, our first topic, adoption, a chance at saving lives. 
And um, before uh, in, uh, getting into the topic, um, please do call us at 020-868-7878 or you can tweet us at uh, Voice of Islam uh, UK or you can comment uh, or you can go to our website and comment at uh, www.voiceofislam.co.uk. So our first segment, which is uh, regarding adoption at chance, uh, a chance at saving lives. And of course, uh, it is, as I've said before, very much relevant to the current situation, um, the earthquake um, which took place, um, which happened in um, Syria and Turkey. <clears throat> and... Um, um, which was a very sad incident um, that happened and um, uh, regarding the topic the gist of the story which is that a pregnant woman gave birth while trapped under a building that collapsed during the devastating earthquake uh, that hit Turkey and Syria on Monday um, the last, um, I think it was about regarding three weeks ago, around, according to the local reports. Rescuers were seen pulling the newborn child from the chaotic mass of collapsed concrete and rebar in what, in what remained of the family's home in Jindrus, Syria, a small town north of Aleppo. The mother, Afra Abu um, Hadiya, did not survive. And that was the gist of the story. And Mubaris, um, um, can you just summarize the the whole uh, current situation of Turkey and Syria or other war-struck nations in the light of above story, which I mentioned now? So, Daniel, um, as we all uh, remember, um, something which shook us all was that at 4.17 a.m. Mm-hmm. Uh, local time on, on Monday, February the 6th, <coughs> A 7.8 magnitude earthquake struck Turkey and Syria. By that evening, the Turkish Disaster and Emergency Management (coughs) Presidency had recorded 120 aftershocks. Of these, the United States Geological Survey counted at least 54 that registered at least 4.3 on the Richter scale. The main earthquake was one of the strongest on record in the area and shares the record with the 1939 Erzijan earthquake as the strongest to hit Turkey in record history. Worldwide, it's the deadliest to hit since the 2010 Haiti earthquake. In the days since um, Monday's quake, tens of millions of people have lost their homes, loved ones, and in many cases, their own lives. And as this story continues to develop, um, here are some some things um, that you should know about Turkey and, and Syria. <clears throat> and of course, you know, our, our compassion, our, um, you know, natural feelings are with those um, who have been died and of course those who are, you know, uh, living in such, a, 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 you know, uh, hard situations right now in such a uh, dire situation and uh, <clears throat> regarding <clears throat> the numbers of course of course this comes in in the mind that um, um, what happens uh, during such uh, calamities uh, or the recent or, or the wars 
where children and um, the people, especially the children, have to see such, um, have to face such, uh, you know, um, uh, disasters or calamities, and um, and many times it has been seen that um, after such um, calamities um, or disasters or the wars, uh, we see that. Um, uh, sometimes they uh, don't get um, in um, get into the society um, mixed up in the society in a way that they can be a productive part uh, of the society. Um, so, what happens that uh, many a times they have been marginalized. Um, the the people, whether the uh, women, men, or children, especially the children who are who have been orphaned. So I will. I want. I wanted to give you a just uh, a gist of um, those orphaned uh, children uh, who have been orphaned uh, due to the result of uh, any recent war or natural calamity. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, according to UNICEF, uh, United Nations uh, Children's uh, Fund, about ten thousand children are left either paternal or maternal orphans every day across the world. That's a huge number. It says that 10,000 children every day. And, uh, you know, um, it, it it will shake anybody's heart mm-hmm. as well. And uh, internationally accepted figures also indicate that numbers of orphan children around the world is at least 140 million. That's a huge number. <clears throat> And uh, without a doubt, uh, one of the most common reasons um, leading to children becoming orphans is natural disaster, as we which uh, which we'll, we will be discussing about. And um, almost um, seven um, seven point five um, uh, seven like um, seven hundred and fifty thousand people have died in natural disasters in the last twenty years. And as a result, um, hundreds of uh, thousands of children became orphans or left without um, parental support. Uh, 79% of these deaths occurred in poor Asian countries such as Bangladesh, Pakistan, Indonesia, India and the Philippines, the countries with the highest number of orphans. So Asian countries, uh, we can see that are being um, struck or hit by such calamities in the more, um, at much wider range and um, <clears throat> comparatively to the western countries and um, as i've said before that 10000 children um, every day have been are being or uh, have been orphaned and it's such a huge number which is uh, shocking to and you know it shakes one's heart and <clears throat> Uh, regarding um, the recent um, incident which happened in Turkey, Syria, uh, we see that nearly one-fourth of the 1,362 children placed under her ministry's care had been united with their families. Uh, more than 200,000 people applied to adopt or foster children who have been orphaned in the earthquake. That's the main main uh, topic which we will be um, discussing and discussing, and uh, which we will be talking about with our um, our guest in in a short while. And uh, but yeah, the death toll from the earthquakes in Turkey and Syria that struck on February six surpassed fifty thousand people. 
on Friday after Turkey declared more than 44,000 people died. And we can, and we can see that most, most of the death, uh, death tolls um, uh, are, on the, um, are in the area of Turkey. And um, uh, we can see so we can see that um, Turkey has been hit by this calamity, uh, natural disaster um, at a, a wider scale. So um, I think we should be, uh, uh, you know, um, touch upon the Islamic aspect as well. Uh, Mubariz, what does Islam say about taking care of the orphans? So um, I'm glad you've come towards the Islamic perspective because I do have a um, a short uh, summary from from the Friday sermon delivered by His Holiness Hazrat mm-hmm. Mirza Masoor Ahmed, the the fifth Caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim Association. Um, this is a Friday sermon which was delivered on the 26th of February in 2010. He gave uh, a disclosure on the care and upbringing of, of orphans in his Friday sermon. And uh, he started by reciting this, this chronic verse, which is, And test the understanding of the orphans until they attain the age of marriage. Then, if you find in them sound judgment, deliver to them their property. Endeavor in, in not in extravagance and haste against their growing up. And whoso is rich, let him abstain, and whoso is poor, let him eat thereof with equity. And when you deliver to them their property, then call witnesses in their presence. And Allah is sufficient as a reckoner. Mm-hmm. Um, that is chapter 4, verse number 7. His Holiness said that um, he, he, he drew the attention to a Quranic commandment uh, which when, when put in practice uh, with fear of God is a guarantee for peaceful society. Um, he said that carrying on uh, in, this, in, in, in the subject matter, um, it is, it is uh, important to honour the rights of mankind um, and it is also uh, central to eradicating hatred from society and in spreading peace. And as cited in the uh, aforementioned verse, this commandment also ends on the mention of Al-Hasib, thereby uh, cautioning believers. Um, and the verse begins by mentioning testing of orphans. His Holiness explained um, uh, that this, um, sh- that that in regards to this, you should be mindful of the education and training of the orphans who are entrusted in your care. Do not be negligent of them, considering them alone in the world. Just as you keep a check on your own children from time to time, check on the educational and training progress of the orphans. Do not differentiate between the way you arrange for the academic training of your own children and theirs. Keep an eye on their special interests and aptitude and try to enhance their natural capacities, providing them with relevant opportunities. Orphans should never be made to feel that due to their deprivation, they could not fully realize their potential or that if their parents were alive, they would have been one of the high achievers. Whether the care of, or- of orphans is undertaken by individuals or on a communal level, their education and training and supervision is a responsibility of those who are in charge of their care. Their care should continue until such time that the orphans reach a marriageable age. Once reaching adulthood, one can look after oneself. 
in the education and training of childhood has been sound, one will become a useful part of society. Um, we'll 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 bring this to a a, a pause for now, and um, as um, we have our our first guest um, online, um, our first guest today is is uh, uh, Sidratul Muntaha. Um, uh, Sidra is a is a biotech scientist and a uh, and, and and volunteers for the Humanity First um, uh, Canada, an international disaster response organization. Um, Assalamu alaikum. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you, and welcome to the breakfast show. Waalaikum salam wa rahmatullah. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you and all your listeners. Jazakallah for having me. Um, so, um, uh, Sidraj, we'll probably just get straight into the first question, which is, um, what is Humanity First doing to help the earthquake victims in, in Turkey and, and Syria? So, currently, Humanity First team, um, um, uh, we have our first responders, including doctors as well in the team. They are on ground right now, serving uh, the people of Turkey and um, Turkey wherever they can reach. And um, they've been there for weeks now, and uh, they've been tirelessly working and sending us updates that how um, how horrendous the the disaster has been and how it has been affecting uh, it has affected the people of uh, uh, Turkey and Syria, and uh, um, the thousands of care packages and tons of food has been delivered already by the Humanity First. Um, and uh, our team is doing, you know, as much as they can do. But we still need a lot of a lot of help and support from our donors from all mm. over the world. And uh, today, by using this platform, I would I would humbly appeal to all your listeners to please call us or go to our website, um, which is www.hfuk.org, to generously donate so that we can still save lives. Um, because it is it is the aftermath of such disasters that people um, suffer. Um, you know th- those who who passed away has passed away, and uh, uh, but we if if we are able to save more lives, um, uh, we we should we should do that. And I would just humbly uh, you know request everyone to to generously just donate and uh, pray for the people who are there who are helping out those in need. And uh, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Okay, um, and definitely um, we would we would request all of our listeners to um, do donate and partake in in helping as much as we can from sitting from from the comfort of our homes. Yeah, of um, what are some of the main challenges that disaster hit countries or, or areas face, and how Humanity First is helping the cause? So, of course, the main challenge is. Um, uh, the mortality rate, you know, the people who pa- uh, who, who who die, mm. um, you know, um, in in these situations. But after that, those who are left behind, they are extremely and deeply traumatized by such events, um, losing someone's, um, their loved ones, losing their homes, losing their whole life, is a is a such a um, traumatizing event that. A lot of people go through mental health issues after after such events, and they need therapy. They need all the help that they can get to mm. overcome and start a life. They literally, you know, they literally have to start a new life, and um, to and forget everything behind. 
which is not easy mm. and uh, not possible in uh, all situations and then you were just talking about um, orphans so a lot of people more than 50 50000 people have died in in these earthquakes in this series of earthquakes and there are so many children left behind without both the parents and some in some cases there is no um immediate family member who can take care of them so um the first thing, you know for them it is it is our priority to find foster families or find uh people who can actually take care of them or adopt them or just you know support them from where from wherever they are so um uh, humanity first is also running this um orphan pro- uh, 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 care program and if anyone anyone wishes to take care of an orphan please do that and it is it is a blessing that um goes a long way because when we are taking care of an orphan it it that means that we're we are you know uh, saving a life and the other challenges is uh, a, a big challenge is a disease outbreak we have often seen that after these natural disasters uh, due to the lack of sanitation due to the, the all these issues that you know go through in those areas we see disease outbreaks and to protect people from that to uh, give people proper shelter proper food proper medication to save their lives is an other challenge that all the teams that are uh, rescue teams that are working there the governments are struggling so these are some of the main issues and humanity first and all other organizations are trying their best to help those in need but still um again um uh, every country every person all individuals should try to pinch in to should try to help in uh, whichever way they can yes yes indeed and obviously um as you mentioned um losing loved ones um i mean just in 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 normal circumstances is is very hard for a normal human being um to see a demise of a loved one but as an orphan as a child to see to see your both of your parents to pass away it must be very very devastating and um i mean we can't even imagine what they're going through so we can just also at the same time pray for them um as well that may allah the almighty uh, help them and give them uh, some sort of ease as well um can you please um i mean we're talking about orphans so can adoption be a way um uh, to help those people that want children as well and also what are some of the stigmas around adopting a, a child so certainly um adoption is equivalent of saving a life because when we see people children are orphaned in different situations uh, especially in state of war which we see that it is going on for years in some countries and uh, in those cases the children um do not sometimes do not get the help or the care that they deserve um to become you know a positive member a um partaking member of a society and to protect that person a child to save him from that future which is which we would never want for our children um it is it is very important for someone who is able financially uh mentally or mm. their circumstances are you know good enough to to do to take this step then um it would be it would be you know equal to saving a life because we will be giving them the food the love the shelter a life that they deserve that they need that they want to become 
a a successful person in future and um, in many ways we will be we will be um uh, doing uh, this world a favor you know because there are thousands and thousands of children you just mentioned that every single day unfortunately 10000 children are orphaned which is a uh, fact that uh, that should that should leave uh, a lasting impact on our on our hearts and we should think about helping these children um in any way we can and the best way to do that is adoption and um uh, you were just mentioning that how islam um teaches uh, its followers to to take care of the orphans and it is it is such a huge blessing in islam that um, uh, the holy prophet once stated that the person who takes care of an orphan will be uh, close to will be very close to uh, me in heaven and he he literally you know uh uh showed the two, his two fingers together and that you know the distance there's no distance between our mm. two fingers and that's how he demonstrated that the person who takes care of an orphan will be that close to me so um it it explains uh, it 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 is um an a motivation for for muslim for everyone you know who who cares about who cares about humanity and talking about stigmas around it so yes there are um quite a the number of stigmas that are around um that are around adoption so first is external pressures you know mostly uh, the people around us even immediate family or family members would would be you know they were they are too concerned about the background or lineage of the child you know sometimes i think that um yeah in, no matter in what circumstances they will bring them up their lineage or their you know background would would have a certain impact on them which we um the science um these days has proved that if a person or an individual is given um an environment and atmosphere a safe space um to um to you know study to live then uh the the, the their behavior change and mm. is not something that would you know not Sorry, not um, have thank you so now we'll just head off to the break and we will uh continue with the with the program assalamu alaikum and uh, may the peace and blessings of allah be upon you welcome back to the uh breakfast show we will continue with uh the islamic perspective uh which um is in regards to to adoption and 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 what islam says so daniel could you please uh, shed some light uh on this for us yeah uh, we can see that uh, of course that uh, of course our our first guest um who was sidrat al-muntaha she was uh, also uh, elaborating um so the islamic aspect as well um that um, how much islam has stressed upon uh, adoption as well and um, you know we can see that uh, in whatever way we see islam um, it, it's the remarked um, feature of the sublime teachings of islam of the holy quran and the sayings of the holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam may peace and blessings of allah be upon him that it lays down the most comprehensive um, and perfect and suitable uh, directives um concerning each and every aspect of life um that's why the teachings of islam are the most uh, comprehensive and uh, complete um uh, uh, teachings of islam and um regarding adoption the one of the beautiful hadith uh, which he uh, she narrated as well um that was uh, 
that the holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam may peace and blessings of allah be upon him has said that um in paradise uh, myself and the carer of the orphan would be like this and by this he means that he held his two fingers uh, together and he said that we and myself and the carer of the orphan would be this close in in paradise so that's the status or the regard which the holy prophet uh, may peace and blessings of allah be upon him has given to the carer of the orphan and But at the same time uh, he yeah. has mentioned some limitations and some some boundaries for um a carer of a of a of a, of, a, of an orphan of course and uh, I'd like to mention that yeah. um a person asked the holy prophet made the peace and blessings of allah be upon him that he did not have any any funds for himself um but he was the carer of of an orphan um he was enjoined that he should use from the orphan's inheritance uh, neither being spendthrift nor niggardly neither should he use the orphan's inheritance to enhance his own property nor should he use the orphan's money to save his own and uh, in another saying of the of the holy prophet may the peace and blessings of allah be upon him he said that if one spends on an orphan while being well off or spends while not being well off when the orphan reaches childhood and wisdom he should be returned the money with full accounts mm-hmm. but it is better if the orphan's inheritance is is invested in business and it is enhanced so again we can see from the teachings of the of the holy prophet of islam may the peace and blessings of allah be upon him mm-hmm. that looking after um orphans is 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 very very um respectable uh, and honorable at the same time um but it doesn't mean that if if one of the orphans is is wealthy that we have permission to to eat or use from from their inheritance or from their wealth rather it's it's literally only just to look after them and make sure that whatever you do gives them benefit in the future mm-hmm. um again it teaches us to be selfless and and to to be caring of other people instead of looking at our own benefit from 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 them Yeah certainly certainly I think that that's um, uh, we need to encourage uh, more more and more people because it's such a positive approach and uh, we need to you know uh, take such steps which are um, progressive and constructive yeah. and um, <clears throat> so that's why more and more people need to step up um, for such a noble cause a noble deed and um so that you know as uh, we have uh, spoken about this before that so that orphans don't get marginalized uh, by the time rather they should be provided with um, with such uh, with aid and help uh, so that they can uh, um, you know flourish in the society in the best possible manner and um, that's why we need to encourage and promote such things so that at least um the minimal uh, support can be given to such mm. uh, people who are in dire state of um, no any 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 uh, any need um so that's why you know it is really important but now uh, we have to go to uh, we have to listen to the clip and um, which is about uh, the adoption the islamic view on adoption and uh, it has been explained by the fourth khalif of the md muslim community his holiness hazrat mirza tahir ahmed let's listen to the clip i was interested in what you thought about adoption um because i've read that um 
Islamic law says that you can't adopt a child and treat it as your own equally to your other children. And I thought that that was no, what... This is not that. It, this is what I, I don't know, that's what I was asking, because I thought it sounded odd. And was that not what Muhammad did uh, no, with no, Zayn? No, this is not it. Oh. What Islam says is, again, this is a question of God being the creator. Yeah. What the Quran says is that if you call somebody your sister, she cannot be your sister. You may treat her as your sister, if you please. But she cannot be your sister in the eyes of law. Similarly, if you call somebody your son, he will not be a legal son of yours. Because a legal son would require your blood, your genes, your character and everything. So why distort nature by giving things different names? So Islam does not prohibit adoption of children at all. In our family, there, I know there are some adoptions. But with adoption also the love is created like uh, very close to the genuine love between mother and child and father and child and so on. But the laws cannot change. That child, child would still be marriageable with all the relatives which uh, if he was a real son, he could not even dream of marrying. So, Allah permits you to adopt sisters, brothers, whatever you like, but you cannot defy the law of God. That is a completely different story. He is the King of the Kings and indeed is the Master of the Day of Judgment. He is the Lord of all creation. The Master of the Day of Judgment is one who runs the affairs of the masses according to his will. Malik, Master, is one who has total possession of creation and has this possession without the help of any partnership and that this is not applicable to anyone but Allah. Unlike a Malik, king, from whom one seeks everything, the term Malik, master, denotes that God is responsible for everything, including food, reward, and punishment. The rule of God is not like any kingship of this world. Rather, it has total ownership and control. God has expounded the good and the bad deeds to us and has given us free will in this world and has told us that He has the right to punish and that the decision to punish or forgive is with Him. The promised Messiah on whom be peace said, 
that the attribute of Master of the Day of Judgment demands that we turn to Him with extreme and utmost humility, sincerity, and meekness. Those who turn to Allah in the manner of a completely helpless and powerless person and do actually and genuinely believe in their utter incapacity as they submit, find beneficence from this divine quality. Malik is a quality of deed that promotes and advocates a profusion of mercy and compassion. However, how can man imbibe this divine attribute on a human level? Adopting mastership means that man may do justice and may avoid evil. In this capacity, he also overlooks others' wrongs, either out of mercy, compassion, or forgiveness. These human qualities only come to the fore when one is in authority and possesses control over something. One's good moral qualities and courtesy only come into focus when one is given status. An awareness of the attribute of Malikiyat turns one heart tender with the awe of punishment and thus generates a true insight. A new station, the Voice of Islam, with live discussions, religion and culture. Understand the true teachings of Islam with the Voice of Islam. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. And we took a short break, and before the break, we were listening to the clip of His Holiness, Hazrat Mirza Tahir Ahmed, the fourth Khalif of the MDM Muslim community, who was um, um, uh, talking about adoption uh, through Islamic uh, lens. And uh, with that topic, we are now heading towards the, our seg- second segment, uh, which is um, um, exciting times ahead. Complete human genome will be read for the first time. And um, regarding this topic, uh, which is very kind of interesting and different from the first topic, and uh, uh, the gist of the story is that Mubaris, <clears throat> uh, uh, can you give us the gist of the story for the second topic, um, which is... All right, Mubaris wants me to give the uh, gist of the story, and uh, um, which is, uh, before the end of 2023, you should be able to read something remarkable. It will be the story of a single individual who they are and where they come from. And it will offer hints about what their future holds. It probably won't be the most entertaining read on first glance. And it will be very, very long, but it will be a seminal moment, the publication online of the entire genome of a human being end-to-end with no gaps. So that was the gist of the story, uh, a very interesting, a different topic uh, from the first topic which we talked about was adoption. And Mumbai's can you just um, give us uh, the summary of the article? So Daniel, um, basically the the first draft of the of the human genome 
was released in in 2001. The Human Genomes Project's uh, international teams of scientists announced that they had completed the work with a complete sequence in 2003. In the last few years, technology has advanced to the extent that it is possible to read the entire human genome without gaps and with minimal errors. This year, the complete genome of a, of a human named Levin Pushkin is to be released for the first time. <coughs> Pushkin's first donation was to the Personal Genome Project, which was launched in 2005. Researchers now want to sequence the genomes of people around the world to build an accurate picture of the genetic diversity of our species. Scientists want to understand the function of previously unsequenced sections of DNA, and they want to start to uh, and, and and they want to start end-to-end genome sequencing in clinics to help doctors diagnose and treat when we get sick. The human genome will not be complete this year because everyone's DNA is is different. Scientists will not truly understand the genome until they know how it varies. So, Daniel, um, if you could, uh, for the listeners, um, uh, just give us an insight on when was the first uh, uh, human genome mapped and what was its significance at that time? Uh, Of course, uh, we will have our experts and guests who will be enlightening us uh, in detail on um, such um, genome um, issues and uh, the topic. Uh, but um, for the listeners uh, to give them the brief uh, gist of the story uh, or the um, or to explain them briefly uh, regarding <coughs> the uh, first human genome mapped and what was its significance at that time um, that the cost of the human genome um, project HGP was about three billion dollars. Uh, that's a huge amount and uh, it was launched in 1990 and its aim was to read all the DNA the average human carries in their cells. Um, At the same time um, um, another version of the genome was published by Celera Genomics and the uh, some uh, and the range of benefits of mapping the complete human genome the Human Genome Project also promised insights, um, insights into our evolutionary origins. Um, sequencing of the genome uh, enables uh, scientists uh, to isolate an individual's DNA and identify different codes by comparing the DNA letter codes with a patient of cancer or heart disease. Scientists um, can predict the disease in advance. Experts say that sequencing each person's genome will also be beneficial in preventing obesity. So we can see that um, there are many benefits uh, of uh, uh, this project, uh, which uh, hopefully we will see the uh, good effects of um, uh, this project uh, in the future. And uh, in terms of, um, uh, you know, uh, finding this uh, most of the diseases which are uh, chronic or very deadly diseases uh, well before the time so that um, such diseases can be prevented.
So um, at the moment we have with us our our guest for for today's segment, the first guest for today's for the, for the second segment, which is Dr. Ines Sibola. Uh, um, now Dr. Sibola is a is a Sir Henry Dale Fellow and lecturer in the Department of Metabolism, Digestion and Reproduction at Imperial College London. She leads a, a, a research group seeking to understand um, genetic causes of common and rare liver diseases. Uh, Dr. Sibola, good morning and welcome to the um, breakfast show. Uh, good morning. Can you hear me well? Yes, yes, we can. We can hear you and, and hopefully you can hear us properly as well. Yes, I can. Brilliant. Um, so, uh, Dr. Sibola, as someone investigating the link between genes and diseases, could you please um, tell us uh, what your research entails? Uh, yes, well, it's funny you ask me that because uh, when I'm asked this question, my, my first reaction is often to say that in my team we don't study genes. Uh, but of course, that's not entirely true because, you know, the, the study of, of a, a genetic basis of disease, of course, involves the study of genes. Uh, and I would say that ultimately uh, the end goal of my team at Imperial is to understand which genes can malfunction in the context of liver disease and how, and of course, how those events lead, uh, lead to disease. Uh, but in terms of the work we are developing uh, in my team, uh, maybe it's easier if I start with an analogy to try to explain what type uh, of DNA uh, elements we, we try to investigate. So it's something very analogous to the gas, that, the gas pedal that you can find in your car. Um, and we study how certain DNA elements can change how genes are activated in the cells in our body. So very analogous to your foot just pressing further down or less uh, in the gas pedal of your car to make the car go faster or slower. Uh, and I suppose you can all imagine that if you make the car go too fast or too slow, both, both events can, uh, can be dangerous. Uh, and that's exactly what we are trying to study, how changes in the DNA codes, the four-letter codes uh, in those DNA elements can affect the activity of genes in our cells and how this can lead to disease. Right. So what benefits do, do genome sequencing have in terms of understanding the diseases? And could, mm -hmm. you, could, could you also give us an example of that, please? Yeah, so... I personally think, uh, obviously, I'm a professional who works on uh, on genetics, so so I, I will be a little bit biased here. Mm. But I personally think that genome sequencing has been transformative uh, on on many levels. So not just in terms of uh, technology, but really in terms of understanding the basis of, of human diseases. So this is certainly not a complete task, but what I can tell you in terms of the figures we have today in 2023 is that about 25% of individuals with a rare disease will have access to, uh, to a diagnostic, right? So the, the cause, the genetic cause of their disease, yeah. uh, we are able to identify it. And that's because now we have a reference for what would be, let's say, a healthy uh, human, human genome. Um, so, so in terms of uh, example, maybe one that comes straight to my mind uh, is work that was published already a couple of years ago, uh, and this was the case of um, a very small child um, in a hospital in San Diego, 
who presented uh, with seizures and some, some early signs of uh, defects in brain activity. Um, and a really coordinated effort of scientists and clinicians uh, allowed them to reach a genetic diagnosis for this baby within less than 48 hours of him being admitted to hospital. Um, and what's transformative here is not the rate of diagnosis, which of course it's very impressive, but it's actually the speed at which by knowing the diagnosis, the clinicians were able to have a very targeted intervention uh, to, this, to this child and actually save his life. So, so I think this, this is one of the most telling examples we have these days of how uh, it can transform clinical practice. That's, that's brilliant. And how will the sequencing of the, of the human genome improve healthcare for society then furthermore? Uh, so I can I can tell you a little bit about what's what's happening here in the UK, um, where I, I believe the UK is actually it's a, a privilege to work here because we are world leaders in genome sequencing applications for healthcare. Um, so today, uh, genetic diagnosis with genome sequencing is a reality already on the NHS. This is not part of the future. This is happening today. Uh, where families or sometimes just individuals with rare diseases ha can access uh, genetic diagnosis. For example, this, this is quite useful uh, when, when you see a pattern of inheritance appearing in a family. Mm. Often parents want to, to have a response for what's, what's the likelihood that their next son or daughter uh, will be ill as well, and this, of course, can uh, can help clinicians uh, tailor the treatments that they will receive. Um, but this this is going. It's, it's really an explosive uh, time for for us, both researchers and clinicians working uh, in human genetics, uh, because there's plans to expand on what's already being done in the UK and to sequence ever more people, uh, including newborns, particularly here in the UK. There's, there's a new project that is being launched, I believe, this year uh, by Genomics England, uh, where the goal is really to sequence newborns and uh, with this aim to prevent or potentially predict uh, disease onset very early on. Right, so so this new hemo, this no new... Um Genome Project will allow for predictions of diseases in, 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 in everyone, basically? Um, uh, certainly not everyone. I can unpack that a little bit. So, so in terms of what we call a rare disease, so, so a disease that is not very prevalent uh, in the population, um, I think uh, that in, in some types of cancer, for example, or the example I was telling you about development of the brain, hmm. so these are examples where certainly if we have a very good map of what a healthy genome looks like, we can we, we work like detectives, right, where we're mm. trying to identify the differences. Uh, and that's, I'm not going to say an easy task, but, but it's a very feasible task in, in the near future. Um, and I would say that the limitation at this point we've got as, uh, as a research field, but, but also uh, for clinical, for clinical uh, activities as well, um, is really perhaps still the underrepresentation of certain uh, certain types of populations because there's still a huge bias uh, in the amount of genomes that have been sequenced so far that largely represent uh, white populations. Uh, but going back to your disease, I would say that when we think about a common disease like 
can tell you examples like Parkinson's, cardiovascular disease. Um, we must be extremely cautious with what we can expect in terms of prediction of disease. Mm. Um, and this is because these are very complex diseases that arise from an interaction, not just from genetic defects, uh, but also a combination of environmental and lifestyle factors. So what maybe you can envision is not uh, something, let's say, deterministic, where we tell someone you have, uh, you know, you will develop cardiovascular disease. I very much don't believe that will be the case. Uh, but maybe a GP one day will be able to tell someone that they have a very high risk of developing mm -hmm. cardiovascular disease and early on make recommendations to, for example, change their diet or the level of exercise to try to ameliorate that high genetic risk. Obviously, this, this has a lot of uh, uh, health benefits um, in the future for all of us. Um, but what has this, this new project taught us about biology, basically, then? <laughs> Uh, I, I think I, I could spend another three hours talking about that <laughs> because uh, it's just so much that it's really? difficult to, to pinpoint. Um, but really, this has been led by very much the curiosity of the research community. Uh, as you can imagine, I think it's part of the job description to, to be curious. Um, so it's hard to pinpoint some examples, but if you think about that example I was telling you of uh, the gas in the car and how we control um, how much genes are activated or not activated, um, we actually have learned a lot about how genes and those are the parts of the DNA sequence act together um, in terms of contributing to diversity. And here diversity I'm telling you about uh, why are the cells in your eyes so different from the cells in your heart? So they have very different functions, and we now understand much better uh, why, why that is. Uh, but also diversity in terms of uh, why are my eyes brown and someone else's eyes are green? Again, we understand uh, the reasons for that. And we also understand a lot more about how we have evolved as a species to become human. So what makes us all, despite that diversity, what makes us all human? Again, that's very much encoded in the DNA and, and we have learned uh, so much from it. Brilliant. Um, Brilliant. Thank that's, you. That's, that's um, very good and very useful for, for future generations to come as well. Um, Dr. Ines Ebola, uh, thank you very much for joining us at the Voice of Islam Radio. Um, and we pray that, that may Allah the Almighty help you in all your research and, and in um, further help towards humanity. Thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you. Have a good day. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye. Bye. And with this, our first guest of the second segment will go straight to our next guest, uh, which is Dr. Amtul Kafi. Yadullah Bono. Um, she is a geneticist uh, with a research background in uh, alternative uh, splicing, the main process through which genes can express multiple protein isoforms. Uh, she loves to write and is a regular writer um, and host for the women's show Faith in Focus. Uh, welcome to the show um, and good morning and peace and blessings for Allah be upon you. Thank you. Peace and blessings on Allah. Yeah. So, uh, uh, Doctor, what did you, uh, uh, when did you become interested in genetics? 
so my story is not very fascinating, um, <laughs> but I was um, <laughs> interested in medicine initially um, after shadowing many doctors in uh, clinics and hospitals, both here in UK and uh, uh, India. I realized the lifestyle doesn't really suit my personality. Mm-hmm. And since uh, uh, I was still interested in science, I pursued to a degree level and um, it was during my undergraduate project on a rare kidney disease called um, autosomal recessive polycystic kidney disease that made me interested in research. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, or having always been interested uh, and being inquisitive um, towards languages and computers, um, it also made me se- made sense to do the field of genetics synthesis. It combines um, all my interests. Mm-hmm. That's really good to know that how you pursue your career, as in in what you uh, what field you were interested in. So with that, uh, my second question is that what is the significance of the long stretches of um, um, repetitive uh, DNA? So repeated sequence or repetitive uh, DNA elements are short or long patterns of nucleic acids, uh, which can be DNA or RNA and they occur in multiple copies throughout the genome. Um, so the repetitive sequences are stresses of uh, DNA sequences that are repeated many times, sometimes hundreds to thousands of times. Mm-hmm. Um, in uh, many organisms, a significant fraction of the genomic DNA is repetitive. For example, in um, plants, uh, 90% mm-hmm. uh, the genome is repetitive. And in humans, on the other hand, 66% of the sequence mm-hmm. uh, consists of repetitive elements. Mm-hmm. So some of these repeated uh, sequences are necessary for maintaining important genome structures, such as uh, telomeres, which shorten as we age, and uh, also in deciding the type of species. And uh, while some repeated DNA sequences are important for cell function um, and genome maintenance, there are other repeated sequences that can be uh, harmful. So, and many uh, repetitive DNA sequences have been linked to human diseases, such as um, Huntington uh, Huntington disease, uh, which is a uh, neurodegenerative disorder. Um, and also Friedrich's ataxia, which is a disease that causes walking difficulty. So overall, repeated sequences are an important area of focus because they can provide insight into human diseases um, mm. and uh, also genome evolution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting to know that uh, you said that um, in uh, I think in plants it's the repetitive sequence is ninety percent, and in in um, in humans, it's sixty six percent. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, b- but how will this breakthrough affect uh, genome editing, and what advancements can we expect? Well, the um, the twenty twenty Nobel uh, Peace, uh, Nobel Prize in Chemistry was given to um, Emmanuel Champetier and Jennifer Doudna, uh, the discoverers of CRISPR type three system. Uh, so the CRISPR which is the genome editing technique, replacing the older technologies for gene editing. And it has already cured some patients with um, sickle cell anemia or cystic fibrosis. Um, And it is currently in the process to cure many more. As a previous guest as well mentioned, Mm -hmm. this is already happening on the NHS. Mm -hmm. Um, The other potential benefits of this breakthrough could include 
um, better diagnosis of the disease, uh, early detection of certain diseases and gene therapy. Uh, so the control systems and also the control systems for drugs. Uh, in the future, there could be new treatments in medicine that don't treat symptoms, but look at the causes of the problem at hand. Uh, this is gene therapy, basically. And um, it, this breakthrough, I think it also means that um, genomes of other species uh, will be compared, which can help, for example, um, the bacterial genomes to understand antibiotic resistance. Uh, and uh, the potential of this advancement is just many more. All right, all right. And uh, what ethical issues are there to genome editing? So this debate about genome mm-hmm. editing has always been there. Um, and this has been, <clears throat> I think, in, in the mind before the the, the Human pro- uh, Genome Project even started in 2001. So uh, uh, we are aware of the mutant superheroes uh, since the di- discovery that... Um, uh, and since the discovery that uh, CRISPR has the potential to make such editing um, even more accurate and even easy in comparison to other technologies, mm-hmm. uh, this debate is even more relevant today. So privacy and confidentiality of genetic information um, is a big problem. Uh, for certain reasons, people may want no one to see what their genetic makeup is. And I think this is a very important um, point with the, the human genome sequencing, uh, because uh, the issue is targeted mainly at who should have access to genetic records and how can they be used. Some of those uh, targeted are insurers, uh, employers, courts, schools and the military. So if this information is used by some of these agencies, there could be discrimination based on genetic disorders. Uh, This uh, discrimination could be from um, diseases that run in a family to mental disorders that uh, a person cannot help. So in uh, gene therapy, uh, the uh, the individual's infected gene is replaced with the normal gene. So... um, some people will say that we are actually uh, taking over the course of nature. Um, and uh, But already gen- genetic counselling is available for people undergoing genetic testing. So mm-hmm. I think the debates will even, you know, unravel even further mm. as the technology advances. Yeah, really, really uh, fantastic. fantastic. Yeah, that was uh, such a fantastic uh, talk, uh, with you and uh, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show thank you very much you. Uh, and may peace and be and blessings of love upon you and uh, have a great day ahead thank you very much, you very much. <clears throat> so that was uh, Dr. Amtul Kafi Yadullah Bunno uh, she is a, a geneticist with a research background um, in alternative uh, splicing the main process through which genes can express multiple protein isoforms she loves to write and is, is, is a regular writer and host for the women's show Faith in Focus. With that, we will straight go to our next guest, um, uh, who is Dr. Amar Singh Man. Um, uh, he is a committed pharmacologist and a, ma- and a mass uh, spectroscopist 
with an extensive experience of drug metabolism and pharmaco and pharmacokinetics in industry and academia he is currently a senior visiting lecturer at Solent Uh, Southampton University and a biotransformation scientist at UCB pharmaceutical company uh, Dr Amar uh, Singhman uh, welcome to the show um uh, good morning and peace be on you very good morning sir um uh, doctor what is the significance of the completion of uh, the sequencing of the human genome this is a very good question actually if we uh, divide this into two halves we can see the physical and functional standpoint of views uh, from the physical standpoint of view we can see as the previous speakers uh, they have mentioned about that what we are how and what we do and how diverse we are and from the functional standpoint of view uh, we can see if there is any disease a uh, misalignment of the genetic uh, codes or the mutations and all these can help us to understand human genomic variation and which can contribute um, to uh, uh, the artificial intelligence where we can create a database before we start looking for a target uh, to develop a new medicine uh, it's not only on the rare diseases i would say Uh, we uh, because this gives us a chance uh, to just reflect on and see how different every individual is yeah perfect perfect and what is the effect of uh, genome sequencing for for pharmacogen uh, genomics for pharmacogenomics uh, it will certainly will have an impact uh, looking at the mutations uh, for the diseases uh, such as for example the epilepsy Mm-hmm. A, a case of epilepsy progressive myoclonus uh, 2a gene where the uh, glucose is stored in the form of glycogen in the brain mm-hmm. uh, due to mutations in the leferin protein now we if we have this genome sequence in hand we can actually fix those mutations mm-hmm. considering the availability of the gene editing techniques yeah perfect perfect and so how can uh, genome sequencing be used as a tool for um, personalized medicine approaches this is very important question uh, because from the industry point of view as a scientist as well uh, all the drugs they if we go back and see how they come out in the market the product life cycle is 25 years and we are actually hitting first in the dark by having some kind of references um, you know either papers published or we know that this compound if we synthesize it will have an activity against particular target and then we go to preclinical species which could be mouse rat cyno uh, dog to test whether that compound shows toxicity then we move to phase 1 uh, which is like 20 to 18 volunteers phase 2 100 to 300 phase 3 1000 to 3000 individuals and most of the compounds before even they are considered as a drug uh, they fail in this phase because mm-hmm. uh, fda approvals are rejected uh, and all this why because we don't have still understanding why some individuals are different 
the mm. classical example here i would like to associate uh, the antibiotics mm. or the antihistamines Mm. any medicine which you know some individuals show rare side effects and we are asked to okay document on the yellow book or tell your gp or doctors and then this is the time if we have the human genome sequence we can start aligning that why that particular individual is different and then there is another point which gives us food for our thought mm. uh, looking at the drug metabolism in between uh, both genders we can move to the uh, the second stage where we can start thinking where do we need to titrate or uh, reduce the dose uh, uh, if the male uh, patient is going through the same uh, disease compared to the female mm-hmm. well, very interesting and in what way will tailored medication change the pharmaceutical world this is actually a, a, a very good question in terms of the business point of view as well mm-hmm. uh, considering all these small molecules which are like less than 500 dalton like paracetamol antibiotics you know the these are the cash cows for the pharmaceutical industry but uh, for the, the more than 500 dalton are like biologics therapeutics they are the large molecules which now all the industries tend to focus why because they provide uh, the long fix the ie the patient needs to take for 3 4 months uh, once in 3 4 months sorry uh, compared to paracetamol which we need to take four times in a day mm. so it will have not only the, the, the this kind of significance from the business point of view but it requires lots of funding mm. and also the business objectives because some industries and um, you know they are only committed and now they are working on the large molecules like proteins because they they, they are already working on this and then with the availability of human genome sequencing they can actually speed up the process to actually prepare the proteins which can work as a therapeutic agents yeah perfect perfect uh, brilliant um thank you so much dr amasingman uh, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show and um, have a good day ahead and uh, may peace be on you thank you so much thank you for you too as well bye yeah so that was uh, dr <clears throat> amar singh man uh, who is a committed pharmacologist and a mass uh, spectroscopist with an extensive um experience of drug metabolism and pharmacokinetic uh, kinetics in industry and academia he is currently a senior visiting lecturer at solent southampton university and a biotransformation scientist at UCB pharmaceutical company um uh, with this we will now uh, go on to we will now play a clip audio clip um which is um by the fourth caliph of md muslim community his holiness um hazrat mirza tahir ahmed um who who is answering a question about human genome project and limitations of research in this field let's listen to the clip the first of all about the genetic engineering i must uh, quote the holy quran first which speaks of the, of so many other scientific discoveries of the future but with no warning at all 
except for genetic engineering. The Holy Quran clearly speaks that Satan will induce people to create new life on earth against the life of Allah. So, there is a grave warning that this effort will kick back. So about the genetic engineering, I always advise Ahmadi genetic engineers that they could participate in it only as much as it promotes the creation of God. But when it is turned against the creation of God, in the sense, for instance, that when attempt is made to create new animals and bugs, etc., then that would be a disservice to humanity. It will kick back in the long end and it may destroy their own creators, what they create. So that much is for the genetic engineering. And the next question, next part of the question, please. It, it started with how should we respond and then is there a specific line we should not cross? I think I have already answered this question. I always advise any genetic engineering engineers to utilize their knowledge only to promote the creation of God. For instance, if new crops can be invented with the help of genetic engineering, and uh, that is a dire need of the humanity today. Although there are many objections raised against genetically produced food, but still it's not against the law of God. So it's a matter to be discussed between scientists of one class and the common category and the scientists of the others. So I personally don't like genetically produced food so it's all forbidden in the house. But still, it's not a sin to use it. That much I can say. Um, so that was um, His Holiness, Hazrat Mirza um, um, Tahir Ahmed, uh, who was explaining and answering a question about human genome project and limitations of research in this field. And beautifully explained uh, it. Uh, now we will take a short break and we'll see you after a short break. He claimed to be that lost one, awaited by all major fates of the world. He claimed to be that Krishna that Hindus were waiting so long for. He claimed to be that Buddha about whose coming the previous Buddha had prophesied. He was that Jesus son of Mary, awaited by both Christians and Muslims alike. He said he was the great reformer predicted by Guru Baba Nanak as well as the second coming of Zoroaster. He said that his mission was to bring all mankind to the realization that there is a God. He sought to bring about revolutions inside people so that they would fulfill the rights of each other as well as fulfill the rights of God. Now just who was he? He was the Messiah of mankind. Mirza Ghulam Ahmed of Qadian, and he was not a liar. 1400 years ago, the Holy Prophet of Islam, 
peace and blessings of God be upon him, claimed that the promised Messiah of all faiths would appear to the east of Damascus. It is recorded in writing that around 100 years ago, this Messiah, sitting in an unknown, undeveloped Indian village, which lay on the same latitude to the east of Damascus, no less, received the following revelation in the Arabic language, Bala Dimashq, meaning destruction in Damascus. He prophesied the First and Second World Wars, and he also predicted that a great war would start from here. It is no secret that the Syrian civil war is the biggest crisis of our time. A conservative estimate states that over half of a million people have been killed since the Syrian civil war started in 2011. However, the number is sure to be significantly higher. Similarly, it is estimated that 11 million Syrians have fled the country since the war began. The pre-war population has been estimated to be 22 million. With different factions on the ground, including American, Russian, and Syrian government troops, Syrian rebels, and ISIS, this has become an international arena of death, a de facto playground for world war. Although world war and the crisis in Syria are signs of his truthfulness, the promised Messiah abhorred bloodshed and violence, and instead claimed that he had come to end religious wars. He said that he loved mankind with the same love that a mother loves her child, nay, even more so. What mother would not sacrifice her own peace and well-being for the sake of her child? So, one can only imagine how much the promised Messiah loved mankind. An expression of his love are his timeless words which he desired to be a means of salvation for those he loved, that is, all of humanity. It is a fire, but all those shall be saved from that fire who love God, the doer of wonders. We live in the age of buttons, where a single button can order us a takeaway or signal the beginning of a nuclear war. At a time when the fabric of our society is ever-changing and ever-tearing, where nations are remodeled overnight and billions of dollars are lost in an instant, we are no doubt standing at a pit of uncertainty. With global suicide rates ever increasing and the threat of a third world war ever looming, our eyes strain for a solution to this epidemic of unrest. But one voice has spoken out in the darkness, addressing the global public and leaders of the world time and time again. A voice of reason, logic and the overwhelming power of truth. This voice, a beacon of light, exists in the visionary of this age. His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Masrur Ahmed, Caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, the global spiritual leader and guide for tens of millions of Muslims around the world. If we are to leave behind a legacy of hope for our children and bequeath a peaceful world to our future generations, we, irrespective of our religion or beliefs, need to urgently change our priorities. Instead of being consumed by materialism and a desire for power, every nation, whether rich or poor, must prioritize the peace and security of the entire world above all else. 
instead of embarking on an arms race leading to death and destruction we must join the race to save and protect humanity a new station the voice of islam with live discussions religion and culture understand the true teachings of islam with the voice of islam so uh, welcome back to the live edition of uh, breakfast show and before the break we were talking about uh, with our uh, guest about um, the human genome and trying to understand um the human g- uh, genome and its details uh now we will talk about uh, the uh, islamic aspect through islamic aspect and uh, we can see you know there are many verses and um, uh, teachings from the holy uh, we can find many teachings from the holy quran which explains um uh, that we should uh, you know um, do our research and uh, look upon the signs of uh, allah the almighty um for example uh, in one place uh, allah the almighty says that their skins will bear witness against them as to what they have been doing and uh, likewise um on another place uh, allah says that among his signs is the creation of the heavens and the earth and of whatever living creatures he has spread forth in both and he has the power to gather them together whenever he pleases and um, likewise um, we're talking about we were talking about the human genome um, and there's a very you know um, unique verse regarding this and which says that fitratullah allati fatran nas alayha that and follow the nature made by allah the nature according to which he has fashioned or created mankind i think that's a very beautiful um verse uh, from the holy quran which uh, states that um we should follow the the nature according to which god almighty has you know uh, given us and he has fashioned us in in the manner um, that for example in another place it says that falhamaha fujuraha wa taqwaha that he has revealed to it the ways of evil and the ways of righteousness so it is you know um inculcated inculcated in in, in our in uh in our genes that uh, we should uh, we have been given the ways of evil and the ways of righteousness um this is the nature which god almighty has created and fashioned us in 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 such a way and uh, if we follow the path of righteousness uh we can you know um uh, uh, certainly be able to get the pleasure of god almighty now we are heading towards the end of the show and uh, before ending the show i would like to thank our producer sizratul muntaha researchers sara ahmed ariba choudhry azka and uh, especially uh, the tech team our technician akib sahib uh, akib ahmed and uh, uh, please do tune in uh, to the breakfast show tomorrow for our discussions and uh, um, this is the 9 o'clock news